0: I like a bed that's really firm. I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your Sleep Number setting. Can
2: it really help me fall asleep faster?
0: Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 limited edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing and free premium delivery when you add a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details. do What a scroll! What a scream! What a scream.
1: Interesting game, leads to three points away at Bournemouth, but what's that you say? You want a 90-minute podcast devoted exclusively to Aubameyang playing center forward? You've come to the right place. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Look, there's a lot of stuff we can get to. There's the Mesut thing. There's the impending trip to, Paul, what's it called?
2: Uh foreskin pullover.
1: That one. There's all that. We can get to lots of stuff, but 90 straight minutes just on Aubameyang up front. That's what this podcast is about, and we're staying on brand. Uh, before we get started, I want to thank everybody who listened to our 250th episode. Uh, it was such a joy to have Amy Lawrence on. Real pleasure, and we appreciate her so much for coming on. Great to have uh, Arsblog and Gunnerblog on for a little, shall we say, crossover episode. Um, and, of course, there was a part of the podcast none of you listened to towards the end where Clive and Paul and I did some stuff. Mm-hmm. But we do appreciate you, 250 episodes, it's great. So many of you have signed up for Patreon over the last week, we appreciate that too. Uh, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Happy Holidays, all that stuff, and certainly go ahead and sign up. If you don't want to, no big deal. We're going to be telling you about ladies' um, delicates later, the, uh, the lingerie, you'll be hearing about it.
2: We might and even get some- what they can put them in.
1: And with a, <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, that's coming up later, <laughs> we want to thank our friends at uh, The Enclosed for that. We'll tell you more about that later. But first, pause on Twitter, pause to my pants, hello, pause. Woohoo! Uh, Clive's on Twitter, Clive P-A-F-C. Hello, Clive. He was on mute. Unmute and say hello. Tim is on Twitter at Scoberto. Hello, Tim. Uh, hello. <laughs> hello. <laughs> hello there. I, I don't know. I mean, is Clive just frustrated that I want to talk about Aubameyang? Let's let's quickly, quickly see if Clive is actually part of the conversation. Hello, Clive. I, oh, I will... I will t- <laughs> stop it, Paul. I will tell you that Clive was concerned that he was not uh, getting great internet before we started, and we all assured him he was fine, and we should just go on with it, uh, and now here we are on the podcast, and I have no idea if Clive's on. You know what, we're going to get started, and we're going to see if Clive is here. Uh, so, Tim, I'll start with you. Mm. Away to Bournemouth. I, You know, I'm weird, because it seems like when everyone zigs, yes. I zags. There was a lot of angst over this performance. I thought it was a really creditable performance away at a tricky mm. place to, uh, playing to a team that, as you pointed out in your uh, match preview on Patreon, that I thought was quite excellent, that they can be a very uh, exceptional counter-attacking side. And I think the mm. other thing that's making life difficult, maybe for the players, but definitely for the supporters, is the way Emery just keeps tinkering. And he did it again, started mm. with a back three. Ozil not in the team. Um, how surprised were you to see him go back three for this game?
3: Yeah, I was quite surprised, actually. I, um, I fairly pleasantly surprised as well because of the way Bournemouth play they play um you know they they cut kind of, well they have kind of two centre forwards but but they have two wide players as well who are really quite attacking and and come in field so um I was pleasantly surprised because I thought it was it looked to me like a plan that I could follow and listen it doesn't have to be a plan I can follow for it to be a good plan but I, I looked at it and I thought yeah I, I can follow the thinking there we've we've adjusted to Bournemouth's threat Um, And yeah, you're right. I I spoke a bit in the preview about their threat about how good they are on the counter attack about how many uh, people they leave forward. Um, So I I was I, I was quite surprised by the lineup, but then I'm usually surprised. Um, by the lineups it's it's difficult to get a read on exactly what we're going to do at the moment um but i like you i was i was quite enthused by this game actually because i i expected this to be really tough i just think we're in a space where we're we're really really analyzing every single game to try and follow a pattern and i think you're right the pattern is at the moment that we change the plan in every game and maybe that's why we start slowly it's taking um players a little while to pick up what they need need to do but um, I think in the normal run of things you look at a 2-1 win away at Bournemouth in a nip and tuck tight game and you say yeah that's that's a really good result that's that's what you want Um, but because we're we're kind of super sensitive about this so we're always starting slowly and we're creating narrative threads between performances Um, and, and I understand that but I think if you take this in isolation this was a decent enough performance I think you know, we had a plan for Bournemouth and and it was a very good result.
1: Yeah, and I totally agree with you. And I think you know, some of this may be clouded by the fact that there were a few dodgy moments in the game that, that made it nervy. And certainly um, you know, the way Spurs dismantled Chelsea I think has people worrying about, you know, how we'll hold up in the North London Derby, but you can only take one game at a time and I thought we did perfectly fine in this game. I certainly thought this was better than um you know, what we did just before the interlow. So Paul, let me ask you this. I mean, we did go to a back three, it was a lot of change. And I think we started slowly. I mean, coming off an international break and in a new system. I don't think that's to be uh, something to be too surprised about. But it was definitely a rough first 20 minutes. What do you think was going wrong in the early stages that maybe we corrected that allowed us to get back into the game?
2: Well, I think they found the formation on the internet or something and thought, oh, this would be worth a shot. (laughs) Well, Clive's been
1: calling for a back three. (laughs)
2: Yeah. Well, we've been calling or certain people have been calling and other people have been saying, yeah, that'd be interesting for a kind of a 3-4-1-2 formation. And this turned out to be a 3-4-2-1. Um, but most of our problems were at the back, just players finding each other with the ball. We were very pensive. But you've got to contra- contrast that to what you would have expected to see had you listened to Tim's Patreon preview, which I did. I was absolutely terrified. I, I shit myself <laughs> mid-Patreon, um, mid-review.
1: Your results will vary.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they were clear... Uh, They've gotta got to have been rubbing their hands for this game coming up. And we've been pretty uninspired recently with our 4-2-3-1 or whatever we want to call it. Um, so I think we should have been all very respectful of what Bournemouth were capable of doing here. And I was pleased that the manager showed that respect. But yeah, for for 19, it's funny, it's almost exactly on 20 minutes. It's just before 20 minutes, we start to play and we start Mm -hmm. to find each other and people start to be in positions and moving into space and giving each other options. And up till that, they're pressing uh, their formation, they dominate the personality of the game, the energy. I mean, they're at home with the crowd behind them. Nothing too shocking except how poor we are. Um, and then after about 20 minutes, we start imposing ourselves on the first half to the point where we eventually get that own goal. But, you know, we're, we're imposing ourselves on them and it's a pretty damn good <laughs> assist from Kalasinac's first assist of the day into it. And you mightn't say... We'd earned it because maybe they were due a goal in that first 20 minutes. But, you know, that's what happens when you put the pressure on and you get it into the box and you're getting cutbacks in. Uh, You know, uh, Lacazette had that uh, goal early on in the season with the ball in from the right, I think, in from Bellerin into him, where the defender own goals it in. But you you could give most of the credit to Bellerin and Lacazette. And this was a bit like that, putting the pressure on them. So it took us 20 minutes for people to pop into pockets to give each other options. And then, uh, as, as you guys have hinted at, you know, this game could have gone either way, but at least we, we dictated the game we wanted to play and started creating real chances and cutbacks. And it seems this year, if we're not creating cutbacks, we're not really creating. So this was an interesting game.
1: Well, and it certainly look. I mean, it it infor- it's informed in part by the selection at center forward because with Lacazette, you've got a center forward who's going to drop in and build the play, and in Aubameyang, you want to get into wide spaces and play crosses and cutbacks, and you know you saw that for his winner later in the game. I also think what changed for us, Paul, to your point is early in the game, it felt like the defenders were playing a lot of passes to one another and horseshoe passing, full you know wing back to central defender, central defender to central defender to wing back, um, and we weren't. Playing a lot of vertical passes and in a back three I think the center backs have a lot more responsibility for starting the build up breaking lines playing you know between the the lines of midfield and they weren't doing that they were going a lot more laterally but then once they started playing those vertical passes once Mustafi once Socrates once Holding started finding Shaka popping up between the lines and Torreira popping up between the lines or even Awobi and Mkhitaryan then our attack started to get into gear a little more. And I just thought it took them a little time to find that rhythm. I mean, Clive, for you, how do you it think? It did, and I, yeah. think,
2: I think Bournemouth burned some energy too. And after about 20 sure. minutes, maybe maybe it ebbed and then flowed.
1: And then maybe we had just that extra yard because the center backs were a lot more yeah. conservative early and then had the space to look up and maybe break lines a little better as, as time went by. I mean, sure. Clive, I know you've wanted to see a back three. I think your presumption, to Paul's point, was going to be 3-4-1-2 with Ozil playing 10 and and Lacazette and Aubameyang pairing each other in center forward that obviously didn't happen today. I mean were you impressed with what the coach did in setting us up and how we performed in the new formation?
4: Yeah, for me this was the most impressive coaching performance of the season without a doubt. You have to in, always look at a game in context, right? So the top three hardest working teams in the league are Tottenham, Arsenal and Bournemouth. So straight away, he to his pre-match press conference. He must have used the words intensity about 10 times. Right? He kept speaking about it. In hindsight, it was no surprise that Ozil was dropped if he was looking for increased intensity. And I lo- I, you know, I've I waited for years to have a manager that consistently focuses on the next game and how to achieve victory. Right? So he'd worked out he needed to run with them. I right? have a, quite a physical team. Callum Wilson, um, F- Ryan Fraser and and Brooks and you think it's David Brooks. Brooks as a young kid has just kept Aaron Ramsay out of the Welsh team in a higher up position and demoted him to the middle two. This kid's gonna be a real talent. He's come from Sheffield United and he's going to be one of the next British superstars, trust me on that. Ryan Fraser's got the highest assists in the in the Premier League, I believe, before this game anyway. And his stats are up there if anybody's in Europe. So right. So and Callum Wilson, a New England debutant that was flying and the whole setup and narrative was Eddie Howe lots of british players the Arsenal are coming lots of exposés in the week with BBC sky etc game was set up and i loved the fact he adjusted his team to cope with three players in particular which i felt were a real threat to us with their speed allied to josh king and so the back three and i like the back three i want it to work i'm not wed to it Um, because I I don't think it works every week. But the fact he did it put Socrates deep, deepest, his quickest player, deepest, so he could try to, you know, stop the channel ball, which I think was really, really good. He sort of nullified Callum Wilson. I thought he beat him up big time. And the fact we had an interior box with Torreira, Shaka at the base and... Mikatarian and he will be higher up, and that square was a, really was a trick, and how they fed the wing backs. And I think we killed some of their some of their attacking play, particularly Brooks and uh, and Fraser, and we had them running backwards. And to me, tactically, this was absolutely superb how we did that. I think Bournemouth really fancied this game. They were the sixth, I think they're sixth in the league, just behind us. This was fifth versus six, and I've always—you've heard me say a thousand times—respect the game, respect the game, respect the opposition, respect what's on offer to you. And I felt we really did that, and um, and and controlled the middle. The middle, uh, I say two thirds. if that make sense? Yeah, sure. I thought start the start of the game was—I think we were put very rusty in some areas, particularly in but by the end of the game. I thought we were stomping all over them until we got a little bit slack towards the last sort of five or 10 post-substitution. So for me, tactically, he's respected a very bright, very physical, very fast team on a tight, narrow pitch where they love slick passing. And Tim's preview was really insightful about the counter-attack. And I think we were set up to try to stop that, yes, it didn't totally really agree. work. But I thought when Tim did that, I thought, "Crikey, he's right!" You know, they are a sprinting team. They're going to break. They're going to wait for us to go lateral, and they're going to go into our fullback area. So the back three for me was pure genius. And um, and again, we'll probably go into Abamyang later. And I won't, I won't the time everybody else. But I've got a point about Abamyang and how best to get you know, the best out of him. Uh-huh. And I think this game was was all about that
1: I, I will tell you what I will allow you to make the point as long as the point is he is the greatest player in human history and must be centre forward every game That then, then, well, then I, it's fine. I think,
4: yeah. uh, I think but, it's one of our I think it's one of our listeners that said something about um, I think it was Ramsey and Lacazette playing together and it got me thinking about how to get the best out of the Banyan and to flanking with Iwobi and Mkhitaryan high-touch players that carry the ball, lots of touches that progress it up the pitch, it's exactly what he needs. He can't have um, a low-touch players around him that want to run around him like, say, Ramsey does, for no, example. No, and, and,
1: and you need wide positions. You have to get into wide positions to make the most of Aubameyang. I, I mean, yes. you know, League, you're not going to have the space to just run in behind the defenders with straight runs.
4: So He was he was beautifully cradled in this system, wasn't he? Beautifully yeah, cradled. I thought, I thought
2: and his movement on the goal, across oh. the goal, now it's for oh my god you, you could if you were to plot a curve of the points he hits it's poetry it's, he's like a guy surfing a wave across the goal mat it's just it's beautiful untr-
4: untrackable untrackable yeah. that sort of movement okay
1: is. well I, i'm loath to interrupt a, a conversation where obama yang is coming in for praise but i'm going to bring tim in real quick because i think clive you hit on it i thought that the wide forwards the high touch players in those wide forward positions were critical to our success but they had contrasting performances and tim i thought this might be a good time to sort of compare and contrast Owobi, who I thought was arguably our best player on the day, or certainly mm. up there, and Mkhitaryan, who may be finding that his <laughs> his right to take that position is is waning with every passing performance. So you want to maybe compare and contrast the performances of our two wide forwards?
3: Yeah, I was interested in what um, Clive was saying there about having high-touch players. I just... Um I just had a little look at some of the stats from the game this is the game where arsenal have attempted the most passes in the final third um and that's without urzil and that that tells you why uh, emery went with mkhitaryan and iwobi he won and and i mean just look at where the goals came from it was the same move twice Iwobi, a little bit in field hitting that overlap from kolasinac and thank you very much getting the cut back in um but Actually I, I so I didn't think Mikatarian's performance I, I completely agree. I thought Iwobi was our best player um on the day. I thought he was superb. I thought the game was set up for him because um, Emery wanted um, intensity from the front. He wanted us to try and take the ball off of the Bournemouth defenders as well. Um, there was there was quite a bit of pressing, which Iwobi is pretty decent at. And um, the re- you know the reason he's he's played well this season is because he he fits Emery's vision uh, for a wide forward. In that um, you know he's not you're not really a wide forward with Emery. You're kind of in those half spaces. So it it really. It really was set up nicely for him, and I, I think he really delivered, particularly on the second goal. And, you know, if, if Ozil does that, we're, you know, Ozil did play a very similar pass to that um, for Bellerin, um, I think, a few weeks ago against Leicester. And, and you know, we were, we were drooling over that. I, so I don't think Mikatarian was as much as, of a disaster as everybody else did.
4: Um, it's it's a bit weird. Well so. said, Tim. I, you you got me right with you, mate. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs>
1: count count me as as one of the um dilettantes, one of the uh
3: plebes who thought he was terrible. <laughs> so here's the thing. I I thought he was a bit of a disaster once he actually got the ball, but I I thought his movement was incredibly valuable. Whereas Iwobi stayed on that inside left position. Mikatari um, wandered a little bit, a bit like he did in the Fulham game, where he was kind of on the inside right, but he was coming much more into that number ten space as well. And if you look at his kind of pass map, uh, sorry, his, his his heat map, uh, he he wandered quite a lot, and actually he combined with the Wobie quite a lot and yeah when he actually got the ball, he was quite disastrous a couple of times but I actually think his movement um, unsettled Bournemouth and I've said this a few times about Mkhitaryan recently where I don't think he has actually played well in and of himself but I still think he's been valuable in the positions he takes up and he's another one who who perhaps is a little bit closer to understanding or or having the attributes that Emery likes in one of those wide forwards and I I still think, even in hindsight, it was the right decision to play him ahead of Meza Ozil.
1: Well, I'm going to tell you something, Tim. I mean, and by the way, of course, I meant Philistine, not dilettante. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Mkhitaryan is sort of playing this season's Alex Awobi in a sense, Mm. because Owobi was a player who would get into really good positions and our frustration with him was how often he squandered them. And I think you could say the same has happened to Mkhitaryan this season. He pops off the the screen, or if you're lucky enough to be there, uh, off the pitch. I mean, you see him, you notice him. He's not Mm. vanishing from games. It's that when he's getting into those positions where you notice him, you notice him then doing the wrong thing. And so, you know, maybe he's a player you stick with on the theory that you know, he he is involved a lot, and eventually he will just get the touches right, get the end product right. And maybe that is worth sticking with. And, you know, really, an, another important point you made about high-touch players, this has always been my argument with Obama Yang. He's a low-touch striker, but you can afford a low-touch player at center forward much more than you can afford that low-touch player and low-defensive-intensity player at wide forward. Um, and yep. so I think... We saw today how valuable those high-touch forwards can be and why the idea to go back to uh, Lacazette and move Aubameyang wide is a big, big trade-off. And, and not because Lacazette is worse than Aubameyang. I mean, we all have our opinions on that, but more because of what it means moving a low-touch player into one of those wide forward positions. And so that is, that is something that the manager is going to really, really struggle with because I thought this worked in a lot of important ways in large part because of the touches that you had from those uh, wide forwards. And And Paul... I mean, I guess the the issue then obviously is what we did at halftime or right before halftime. And, and this is the interesting thing. You know, we mostly short-circuited what they do well, which is counterattack. And I thought, you know, what Emory seems to be good at is setting us up in a way that frustrates and confuses the opposition. I thought Bournemouth had a lot of the ball early in the game but weren't really sure what to do with it. They want to play on the counter. I thought the way we played in the last 30 seconds of the first half was... Particularly unprofessional. I mean, maybe that's just me being my usual sort of hyperbolic self. But it was really disappointing. I think we were on top. We had been on a a period of real dominance. We get the ball all the way into their box. Uwobi loses it. Uh, I thought he came in for a little more criticism than is deserved in that situation. But then there's a lot of people jogging back. And we just weren't switched on. We're expecting the halftime whistle to go. I mean, is your opinion of the goal we concede at halftime that it is largely down to the dreaded uh, effort quality. I mean, I don't think that was a tactical problem or performance issue. To me, that looked like focus and effort and concentration.
2: Um, uh, I was surprised when Arsene Wenger po- popped up at the end of the match to describe that moment as naive.
1: It was, <laughs> yeah, it exactly. Was We've seen that classic. before.
2: Yeah. yeah. Uh, and to me, that's what it was. I mean, there was some talk about people jogging back, but Bellerin was running his socks off. He looked. He was running back. He looked fucking knackered. Yeah. Um, and But the question is why we're both in Kolasinac and everybody else in the box <clears throat> where we're scrambling. But there was no need. There was absolutely no need for it. And there was no cover down the left, our left hand side when they swung it inevitably out to our right and then. You know, I mean, they played balls without getting tackled, without really getting pressured. Everybody gave, everybody was trying to buy time to get cover back, which gave the player enough room to make the pass, make the next pass, and find the guy out wide. I mean, they had basically two guys, um, nicely spaced over to the right, and they were able to swing it down one of our sides. And I'm not then picking on him, but it.
1: watch who Shaka follows to. I mean, Shaka makes the wrong defensive run there too.
2: Yeah, yeah, but. You know, it, it's kind of one of those things. You could crit every, criticize every single player uh, almost, apart from maybe Holding, who just did what you're going to do, which is you know try and occupy a bit of space between two players. But you could criticize almost every uh, player in midfield, wing back, and defensively for for how they managed that situation. It, it's just a team failure. I don't know what the fuck we were thinking of. W- where is the in-team intelligence, that, that spark between players, that communication, the bollocking afterwards where whoever, Chaka bollocks Bellerin, or whoever bollocks whoever, that says, hang on, we talked about that. This shit doesn't happen. Now, I did see some bollocking going on, but, you know, that thing has to stick. It's just pure, you could criticize whoever, Mustafi for not closing down, whoever it was over on the uh, on our right wing. But it's it's six, seven players uh who've made the decision there to naively try and get a second goal for no great reason, uh with a minute to go in at the end of the first half. That's not what you do.
1: Yeah, I you know what, I mean I have less of a problem with them pushing for a second goal on the stroke at halftime as I do with just some of the jogging back and some of the lazy defensive runs to to choke off that counterattack opportunity. And and may, you know maybe it's six and one half doesn't the other or a little of each right maybe it's pressed a little too high up the pitch chasing that second goal uh, you know with the halftime whistle coming any moment so I
2: you to know me I, everybody defensively was trying to buy time to get more cover because they yeah. were matched one on one
1: and it's a good finish in the end but it, you know look it's still just not the level of concentration and focus you want but to our credit. We came out at half, after halftime, and we were right back on top of them, and I thought we really dominated the second half. We've now scored the most goals uh, of any team in the Premier League, having not led at halftime this season, quite incredibly. So, you know, I mean, there's posit- positives to be taken from that, and I also like the fact that Emery didn't wasn't quick to make a change. This time, he, he let the team sort it out a little. He's starting to get a feel for, you know, when he wants to make those quick changes and when he wants to let the team figure it out and and the team did figure it out eventually and Clive, I think this is a good time to sort of get back into the Obama yang discussion. He does get the winner from rather brilliant center forward play. he did have a couple of misses on the day as well, although he has now scored with his last eight consecutive shots on target, and I think this was one of his highest XG games of the season, despite not being involved a ton. I mean, there's such different strikers, Lacazette and Aubameyang, that it's almost hard to compare them because it's like comparing jazz and classical music. They're just totally different things to to appreciate. What did you appreciate or maybe not appreciate about his performance in the center-forward role this day?
4: I wasn't worried about his touches because we, we took them away from him. So my concern with him is we played him with Ozil, who's not really good at receiving the ball high up he, when he's high up he tends to run beyond and he tends to come deep to receive it and, and sort of prompt from a, a deep area or a wide area and he floats into spaces of difficulty technical difficulty and he moves it on so he suits more of a Lacazette player who who can take the first ball take the physical burden away from him and then he can do what he likes. He can go where no one else expects him to go. And when you play Lacazette with him, we then ask him Lacazette to come deep and receive the ball. And he doesn't play with wing mirrors online. Right? He doesn't like it. He likes to see everything. When he sees things, he runs to the spot where he needs to be. So in the and Mikatarian, and I'm totally with him on Mikatarian. I mean, I read something today about his stats that he covered and I felt he got stronger in the game and it's quite interesting that they moved Mikatarian over to the left to block their most troublesome side which tells you how he was motoring towards the end of the game. What fans tend to do is look at the execution and output and don't look at what he's doing for the whole team. We need to stop with that now and start to look at the fact that he's there for a plan and he's there to progress it and he allowed He pressed the ball, stole the ball high and played it straight through to Aubameyang. And the two of them, I thought, were absolutely pivotal to how we played. And they freed Aubameyang up to show his strengths. And I mean, he 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 is a very interesting player. I felt I learned more about him in this game than any other, because now I've seen. I think I've seen the balance for him. He needs work around him. He needs people who can steal the ball. He needs people who can give him the ball in broken field play where he can move straight away onto it. He separates from his defenders naturally. He creates he creates yards with his quick thinking. I mean, he's quick footed, but he is even. You know, you often find fast players, never have to use their brains because they've always been quick and everybody else. Well, he's quick brain and quick footed. And I thought I was really impressed with him in this game because I felt he was a consistent threat as long as we supported him appropriately. And everybody knew, let's get it, move it, get it into wide areas. Let's try to create something to try to get across that box to a Aubameyang. I don't know how many crosses we put in this game, but we put in crosses blind crosses sometimes to put it into the area we fired low crosses into the area i felt we really made bournemouth defend and the Yang somebody who reads those crosses i thought bournemouth packed the box quite well he reads those crosses but i felt by pushing the ball forward into his area consistently i felt we got them on the second goal they knocked off they're having a little rest quick free kick pop pop down the side cross the box goal and they were still breathing trying to, with their hands on the hips. They, they, weren't, they weren't ready for it because they'd been stressed throughout the entire game. We didn't play the horseshoe in front of them. We played the ball into him consistently. Every now and again, we go long diagonal and just went through to the keeper. But again, you're creating space. You're creating different problems, different attack threats, not just the pass, pass, pass. Let everyone settle in and wait for the cross, defend wide areas and wait for the cross. No, we challenged them long, we challenged them combination, we challenged them down the sides. I tell you, it, this was my favourite Arsenal performance of the season, tactically, against one of the better sides that we played, and I felt we beat them handily and I know I don't think there was a I know everyone's focused on Mika output in the first twenty in particular. But I felt it was a really good collective performance where I don't think anyone played bad.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, look, it, it would be easy to kill Mkhitaryan if we hadn't won it because you could say he had the chances to turn the game and, and didn't. Having said that, the fact that he had chances to turn the game, I mean, tells you how involved he was. Uh, Tim, before we yeah. take a quick break, I, I do want to get your thoughts on the Aubameyang thing too. I, I have <clears> read people <throat> on the internet saying he was terrible. Can't believe how terrible he was. Um, he also scored the winner and had his you know, one of his highest XG games of the season. I've seen people saying he was brilliant. I just think we lack some of the skills to evaluate and assess this kind of striker because we had Olivier Giroud, the ultimate yeah, lump it to the big guy up front target man. We had Lacazette playing center forward, who is more of a false nine. We had, you know, Robin van Persie, who is more of a false nine. We had Marouane Chamakh, who was more of a fever dream that never happened. Um, uh, you know, false player. Uh, but you know, you look at a lot of the players we've had since Thierry Henry, really, and they haven't been the Aubameyang style of player. Um no. and so I'm not sure we have the necessarily the, the right. Uh, language, the right nomenclature, <clears throat> the, the, the right way of assessing and c- discussing this uh, kind of striker, as I'm demonstrating right now by fumbling all my words. So, I mean, for you, how do you evaluate not just this performance, but us playing with this type of striker as something that we could do going forward?
3: Yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's just a lack of frame of reference. The closest ah, frame of is. reference, yeah, <laughs> the, the closest frame of reference we've got is Theo Walcott, um, who obviously only played through the centre a few times. And actually, when he did play through the centre, he became something quite different. Um, actually, but you're right, and he's he's like the opposite of Giroud, who's high touch, high involvement, but um, you know you wouldn't necessarily. Put your life on him scoring, and and actually, uh, a Bamiyang is you know we've discussed this before. He's not enormously clinical. It's just he takes up such good positions, you know, particularly from corners. With the way he loiters on that back post, he gets tons of chances like that. Um, it's really interesting the way he kind of just peels away on the back post at corners and he nearly um nearly scored in the first half. But I, I think you're right. I think it's just a case of um a lot of us So it's almost like um like a Giroud version of the Stockholm syndrome, like we don't recognise a striker unless he's like either battling for headers or like got his back to like we we've we've become so um we've become so used to the idea that a striker is someone who's got to do something with his back to goal. Um, And you don't necessarily always have to. Uh, This is just who Aubameyang is. He's low touch, but he's high chance, um, effectively. But um, you do have to have the correct structure around him. We talked a bit about that already. You've got to have the right type of player around him. Um, Again, a bit like Theo Walcott, you know. I always thought Alexis Sanchez and Theo Walcott was a brilliant partnership because, you know, we know because they're they're kind of the same but opposites. Like Sanchez wants the ball all the time and Theo doesn't. He just he's just interested in it in front of goal. And I thought they really complemented each other. And that's the sort of dynamic we're looking for here. Um and I and I do think someone like it. Well, we already know Mikatarian and Nabamyang have a relationship from their previous clubs. Um, and, and I think, you know, someone like Iwobi and Aubameyang is is potentially quite an interesting mix as well, um, just because I, I don't, I agree with Clive, I'm not sure Ursula and Aubameyang is a great fit um, and I'm not, I, I don't really think Ramsey and Aubameyang is a great fit either. Um, but it's 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 very much horses for courses, um, and, and I'm happy for. In some games, it's going to be Lacazette. I tend to think maybe the bigger games, um, it's going to it's going to be Lacazette because we probably need that that kind of work rate up front. Um, but for games like this, I'm I'm more than happy with the Bamiyang. And again, maybe a little bit like this performance, maybe we're slightly overthinking it. Um Abamyang won us the game, and uh, it's it's very 2018, isn't it, for a striker to score the winning goal, and then everyone to kind of you know stroke their chins and say, but what does it all mean? Yeah, and what does well, what does he do? And it's like, well, it, you know, he he won us the game and that's um, perhaps 10, 15 years ago. That would have been enough, but obviously we, we analyze the game a little bit more now.
1: And he's the leading scorer in the premier league. You know, by the way, we saw yeah. people say Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, is actually holding Real Madrid back. Cause all he does is score and he doesn't make his teammates better. And how's that working out? So I, I mm. agree with you and I'm guilty of this, you know, with all the stats we have now and all the ways we can analyze the game. Sometimes we're guilty of over analyzing the game. I think the shame of it is we probably don't have the player who could get the most out of Aubameyang, a hazard uh Sadio Mane mm. uh Raheem Sterling someone who can always beat a guy and push it to the byline right and mm. and get into positions to cut back and ironically I you know I don't I don't think it's a coincidence that it's Kolasinac who gets him the um uh, the assist and Nacho Monreal another player who has provided him well because those are players who do seem to get into wide positions and it was Hector Bellerin who yeah. fed him those beautiful chances in the Chelsea game I don't know that we have quite the player to unlock his best potential um, I, I, yep. I heard someone wanting to jump back in. Tim, did you want to quickly come back in on
4: that? The closest players we have to unlock his potential are all on the pitch at the weekend. It's simple yeah. as that. Oh, I agree. They I just the, don't know if the any of them are
1: white around peg round hole. You know what I mean? now, if you're saying to
4: me, if you're saying to me we need to upgrade a couple of those, then that's a mm-hmm. different conversation, yes. right? Because I think we'd all agree with that, right? So, but if you're talking about putting a Bambian in the system. You're giving him two wing-backs that are sprinting to the touch, to the byline. You've got two inside forwards that can carry the ball and dribble and go beyond their man. Two inside forwards that work back, but also were there for the, the second ball. And the, they they could rob people and give a Aubameyang the ball. Everything was geared for him. I think he had four shots in a game, I believe, or something like that. He could have scored two goals easy. The one with Mkhitaryan robbed him and laid him in. He chose the, the harder side to finish. If he goes across the goal, that's that's a goal. Simple as that. And that's classic out of nowhere. And I think, which is what I mean, today, I mean, sorry, the Bournemouth game for me was a, a major tactical step forward because we are moving towards a period of a number of games in December where we've got basically two strikers. So we're going to have to get a system where we have one striker on the pitch, one yep. striker to come on. Yep. And we've got a situation where we're going to have to get what I call a points accumulation set up. Which, which gets the best out of our players. Monreal's done for two, three weeks, and when he comes back, he can't play a game every three, four days, which you need end of December. So this is this could be. I hesitate to say this because you never can tell with Emery. This could be it for a few for a couple of weeks, and I'll be fine for it over Christmas because that square in the middle you can rotate the players around. The wing backs sort of pick themselves, but you could add obviously make the nails into that on the right hand side, and your three defenders pick themselves, and you just rotate the strikers right. And so it's something that you can pl- plug and play. And I think we could accumulate a lot of points. It hides a lot of weaknesses until we get to January and a little bit of a rest.
1: Yeah, well, speaking of plug and play and hiding weaknesses, let's sell you some lingerie. Uh, We are going to uh, definitely help you out because, uh, gentlemen, if you are thinking of buying that mop or that vacuum cleaner for your loved one this holiday season, I implore you, stop what you're doing and listen to the next 90 seconds or so of this podcast. We are going to not only uh, help you build a better relationship, but have a much, much merrier Christmas. Uh, So you're going to want to stay tuned for that and maybe get Paul's thoughts on that when we come back. Uh, When we come back, we'll do some quick hitters, talk about substitutions, talk about the result, talk about the impending big games, the trip to, Paul, what's it called?
2: Uh, Foreskin Pullover.
1: All that and more right after the lingerie ad. It's coming up next. Okay, it's time to tell you about our friends at enclosedlingerie.com. That's enclosed, E-N-C-L-O-S-E-D, lingerie, L-I-N-G-E-R-I-E, enclosedlingerie.com. You're going to want to go there right now because they are offering you $35 off any gift of lingerie from their site using checkout code ARSENAL. Enclosed lingerie is a lingerie of the month gift, Uh, similar to beer of the month or flower of the month. But every month you are going to receive high-end luxury lingerie for your partner. This is something that you got to do. It enhances the intimacy and the closeness in your relationship. That doesn't happen on its own. It takes time. It takes energy and effort. And this shows real thoughtfulness. Plus, you don't have to wander around a department store sheepishly. You're getting something with a perfect fit guarantee. So size will never be an issue. And you're going to love giving this gift to your partner. I'm married. I have a toddler. um, I have a great relationship with my wife. But I have to admit that keeping that closeness is something you have to really focus on. Especially as time goes by and your family grows. So... This is something you should absolutely do for your loved one. Go to enclosedlingerie.com, enter Arsenal at checkout. You'll get $35 off any enclosed gift and you're giving something that shows real thoughtfulness that's unique, that's just for you and your partner. Go there now, enclosedlingerie.com and enter Arsenal at checkout for $35 off your gift. Do it now. And we're back. I don't know about you, but that got my blood pumping, and I hope you are now excited to hear uh, what we have to say about the rest of the match uh, and the matches to come.
2: Our trip to, Paul, how do you say it? Foreskin pullover.
1: Yeah, okay, so Paul, let me start with you. So look, I had a pretty good read on this Bournemouth game, I think. I was looking at it, I was like, gosh, Iwobi's really ball dominant, he's doing a really good job, and Torreira's keeping things tight, this is great, and they get taken off. Explain the subs to me because, look, you can't argue with the results, but Emery seems to have a way of zigging when everyone else is zagging. Uh, he takes Torreira off and he takes a woby off. Mkhitaryan stays on. He brings on Gendouzi. It was, It was confusing. I mean, how did you feel about those decisions and how they panned out?
2: I was very confused, so I'd probably be the wrong man to ask. But I will say this: uh, the Torreira one, which didn't make any sense. He cleared up. Uh, apparently, Torreira signaled to the touchline he was tired, shagged out from playing two games for Uruguay, um, and I had the smart sense to say he was starting to flag a little bit. Um, so Ganduzi comes on. So that made some sense. Uh, I was very. It was very interesting that it was Iwobi that got yanked ahead of Mkhitaryan because. I I think like you. I think I'm in your camp. I thought Mikitarian had a terrible game Thank for you, execution. Thank you finally.
1: Finally. Yeah, We're on the now, same page when it comes to uh, criticism.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. I I think he was the perfect player for the right system in that game. And I think what's very encouraging is, you know, I was a bit I'm a I'm a Mikitarian man at least in 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 principle in concept and I thought uh, his his opportunities at Arsenal might be quite constrained this season. And yet, even though his form of, of late wouldn't give you too much encouragement to make him a starter, he's he's actually starting to get more and more games. And I th- obviously we saw in this game that he he's very much the right player for the system uh, if he can get a bit more confidence or a bit more output or higher level of execution but as the boys pointed out what his shtick worked he was in the right place doing the right things um all over the place so it, it surprised me back to your point that it was uh it will be that got yanked rather than Mikitarian. Based on form on the pitch. On the other hand, Mikatarian has shown timing again. He'll run, he'll do his shtick for 90 minutes, basically, with no drop off. So that was kind of impressive. Yeah. Um, and it was not, I think it, the Ankatia substitution is as easily explained as. Uh, we need to make a sub to run down the clock. Yeah, that one was easy. Um, and, and, yeah.
1: and look, I mean, a engine has been the one thing you'd have to say about him sure. being problematic. So I, I agree with that. I mean, Tim,
2: and, and two yeah. big games coming up. So yes,
1: well, that, that's what I want to allude to Tim. I mean, how much do you think that this lineup to begin with, coupled with the substitution patterns was done with an eye towards Spurs and United from <clears throat> su- Sunday to Wednesday? I mean, uh, and, and again not just the substitutions but the formation the lineup I mean is that overreading it or do you think that he may have been auditioning something for those games
3: uh it's possible I, I hadn't considered that actually i' I'm, I'm I'm not convinced I think maybe um, one or two of the substitutions he referenced Torreira looking a bit a bit tired um, which because I was slightly not Baffled isn't the right word, but I was, I was surprised by that substitution at that that phase of the game. And by the way, I, th- I think Torreira played a slightly different role. He played quite a bit higher up um, on this occasion because I, I really think Arsenal were into the idea of snatching the ball um, before Bournemouth had a chance to build play. And yeah. and w- if you look at the, the chance where Torreira hits the post, it's because he's right up the pitch intercepting. and The bygone used-
1: Francis Cochran role.
3: Yeah yeah we we did use him a little bit higher up um to try it was very clear we had a plan to press uh Bournemouth quite high the boy um, can play yeah yeah no he can he he certainly can he's got a good pass on him as well um and and obviously that role is probably slightly more physically demanding because he has to cover a bit more ground whereas you know when he's just sweeping up in front of um the back four um so there could be that uh, to it. Iwobi I you know I th- I think that made sense he was tired and in Ketia uh, it was just a time waster wasn't it but I, at the time I was quite surprised by the Genduzi for Terrera substitution and it might have been with an eye on what's to come but thinking about it I just think it's probably more that we asked Terrera to do a slightly more demanding role and it took its toll in the last few minutes yeah I, I think oh sorry keep going he, yeah. He loves bringing Ganduzi on, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he wants Ganduzi to feel like he is
1: fully a part of the first team and fully yeah, integrated. Yeah. And and I mean, maybe I'm it, I'm not saying he just wants him to feel that way. He's an excellent player, um, mm. but you know, certainly, and and maybe this is just purely psychological. You think of Torreira as a secure player who you know protects the back four, and Ganduzi is more of a creative type player and a possession player who's not as good defensively. I don't think that's purely. Um, emotional. I think that there's some actual information behind that, but ultimately, I mean, it got the job done, and Clive, I guess we can put this game to bed because we have a couple other issues to touch on before we say goodbye here yep. by going to the very last moments of the game and Mustafi's tackle that leads to the free kick that finishes off the game in uh usual calming Arsenal fashion. Mustafi just always seems to have one move in him every game that makes you want to fire him out of a cannon into the sun. I mean, how do you how do you feel about that particular tackle, his performance, and just generally what he does to uh, your nerves?
2: Match saving tackle.
1: <laughs> Is that how you see Hot it? Paul? We'll come back to you on that one. <laughs>
4: I mean, fans' nerve, right? It's a big game, big result. We really need, needed to win. And I felt, I said online, I felt we were play, playing 3 1 up football rather than 2 1 football. And uh, that worried me a bit. And um, the substitution, I totally agreed with, by the way. And the Woby was fading. I was just about criticising him when he lays on the pre assist for the goal. He was fading, took him off. It's the right things to do. Then Mustafi comes along and we are sitting there thinking, okay, we've got away of it. Gwen Doozy's come on, he's come on. Bob Marley style, nice and relaxed, not really intense. We don't really need that. I think it's Gwen Doozy or Shaka. And then we've got to find somebody else to bring some energy on to replace Terrera And I'm hoping that can be Mainland nulls because we need to get a sprinter on the pitch. We can't have two Bob Marley's running around, right? So we lost a bit of intensity there. So what happens? Round the D, we start to lose a bit of traction. cutbacks, shots in the edge of the area because we're not pressing the ball, right? So then Mustafi flies in. And I swear to God, I had a tweet ready. <laughs> wow. I had it saved, ready to go. And it was, I had to delete the draft, right? But it wasn't <laughs> complimentary because i could not believe what what he did right and um and you couldn't he just, believe it or you could totally believe it. well th- there was like there was a cutback uh, that stanislaus got a shot off in the in the second half and mustafi finds himself on the floor he finds himself on the floor for brooks's goal what's he doing on the floor the middle of the box the cutback he finds he's waving a leg from behind him he's overran it On the floor, when you run back, you look behind you, you make sure you have lines of defence. You don't go on the same lines to the cutbacks there. You don't collapse. And then the Edgieri just dives in and kills somebody, Ejieri. I'm thinking, if this goes in, it's going to be uproar. And there was a couple of those. I mean, Shaka, had a couple of clearances that got robbed. He got robbed a couple of times. And if they would have scored from them... The narrative might have been completely different because you've got a couple of players there that people are torn about and now you can add Mkhitaryan to that list because of perceived bad play. Um, That if they make a mistake that costs us points, I dread to think what's going to happen to them. But Mustafi, I was ready to jump on that bandwagon, I'll tell you that, because I thought that was a bad decision, shall we say. But we got away with it and that position, right side of a 3 Is his best position for me, and um, and I don't mind these three playing for the next for the whole month of December like that. We can manage to get away with it.
1: If we don't play a back three, are you ready to go to uh, Socrates and Holding as the pairing?
4: Well, Socrates is our best defender. Simple as that. I don't care, and you know he's our best defender. Holding's doing really well in possession. I mean, his passing stats the weekend were fantastic and at times he put himself in the left back spot. I really like his responsibility that he that he took. I mean Tim is probably right in front of you in the second half. He was down in that corner doing coiff turns mm. and I'm looking at his feet, I'm thinking, Wow, you you you're something special on the ball, mate, you really are. He didn't
1: knock him off and, um, five.
4: <laughs> yeah, but you, you know you, to have the to have the confidence to do that. You know, that shows you his progression. And it showed me that Let the me whole... handle
2: this, Clive. Neither, neither did Cruyffs. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
4: Yeah, well. So, you know what What impressed me about this whole performance, Elliot? I mean, if you can name me a time in the last few years where we've gone away from home against a decent side and won without Ozil, Sanchez, Ramsey, Koscielny. None of them starting. And what I saw was personalities sustaining late in the game. And I was really impressed, particularly with the two behind the striker, to not fade away after mistakes, still show personality, and not make everybody yearn for Özil and Ramsey to come on, because I felt they were doing a good enough job. Cool. And, and and I think I think you know, for for me, we're starting to see a new team develop and and go to war in these away games and sustain a performance. And it won't always be smooth, but I think it's a a start of a uh, a different page.
1: And look, I, we were 3-0 down to this team at that ground in January <laughs> before halftime. Was it the past January or the one before that? Have I confused It might my have been January? the one before that. It might have, have
4: been the one before we that, We were down
1: yeah. 3-0 and the game finished 3-3, and wasn't well, that Giroud Scorpion kick that he gave it the big celebration at the end and then and then didn't run back to the we, center. I think, I think we lost, I think we
4: lost there last year.
1: Okay. Yeah, two, and, yeah, and 3-3 three, three before two quick that. Goals. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, so Paul that actually leads me to sort of my last question on this match, which is just have we underrated the value, importance and quality of this result? I mean, I see a lot of people that are hemming and hawing about the performance and I look at the XG, and we restricted them, you know, on XG to I think one of our better defensive performances of the season by those metrics. I realize that's not everything, but just worth paying attention to. Sure, we got a little fortunate with the own goal, but I thought we had periods where we were really dominant. We tried a new system and got away with it without some of our biggest players on the pitch. And it, you know, it's it's a game that could have been a trap right after an interlull and right before playing Spurs and United consecutively. So, I mean, do you think that this is a more valuable and and more creditable? Performance and result that maybe is being given credit for.
2: Yeah, I think it's a big deal. I mean, uh, as said, the build-up to the match uh, in the media, you know, Eddie Howe was absolutely rubbing his hands at this game and had a a plan to come at us and hurt Arsenal the way Arsenal has been hurt for quite a few years now. So uh, this was really set up for Bournemouth at home. To come at us and hit us where where we're hurt. I mean, we have not produced a lot of offense recently, and we we produce goals, but we haven't produced a lot of offense. We had the stats aren't there because a lot of the activity in the final third isn't where you want it to be. Uh, but in this game, I mean, we, I think Clive asked about crosses. I mean, we did. We had something like twenty-one crosses. We had ten from the left nine from the right and then eight corners so that gets you 29 balls into the box where obama yang is we produced a lot away from home um building up from the back with uh three center back. so uh, this gives us another way to play and we we have looked somewhat neutered and toothless can you be neutered and toothless um <laughs>
1: I mean, you're, get it, you're ter- getting it at both ends. Uh, at that yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> For, it's like something out of Game, Game of Thrones with Ramsey Bolton. A, anyway.
1: a Human Centipede, yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, this is quite a sea change uh, against a team that I think had they beaten us, nobody, uh, everybody would have been an expert afterwards about how this was kind of, uh, had been in the mail that this this was... You know, our comeuppance was going to come. The the underlying stats showed that we weren't producing. Uh, and, you know, against a clever, inventive Eddie Howe. I, I think there's a big win uh, strategically for us. And also tactically, I mean, the manager out-tacticked Eddie Howe. Yeah, it's, it's narrative and we won. So you write your own narratives at that point. No, I totally agree, out- though.
1: I totally yeah, I think he confused we them. We yep. out them.
2: Yeah, and we have another way of playing and another way of winning. Um, and going into two big games, you know, ignoring foreskin pullover, which I never like to do, we got two. You know, we started the game with playing two of the top teams. We're going to play two more of the top teams going into the basically the second third. You know, we played thirteen games. We're going to play the next thirteen, kicking off with two two of the top six ish. And to, to be uh, fair, the
1: Bournemouth game we played. A bigger team than Manchester United, but yeah.
2: Yep, granted. But but OT, uh, you know, Old Trafford away. So it's a key win at a key time and gives us a new way of playing with a different set of players. uh, So we don't feel we have that dependency, that crutch of certain players have to be on the field for us to be full strength.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, let's face it, guys. We go into games with expectations of what we're going to see. When it was Arsene Wenger, we knew exactly what we were going to see. So the praise we would give or the criticism we would make was pre-written, and then the team just went out and either won or lost, and based on which they did, we just basically printed our preconceived praise or criticism. If that makes sense, you see what I'm saying? Like, we we knew what was going to go wrong if we lost, and we knew what was going to go right if we won. What's really tough for people right now is we have no idea what to expect, and as a result, when it goes right— Sometimes we're really confused about what we just saw because it just wasn't what we were expecting to see. But you know what? It's also not what the opposition were expecting to see, and I thought that was great. Look, after the uh, game on Thursday, we will do a podcast, and since that's going to be probably a pointless game, we'll do a lot of preview stuff for the upcoming big games in the league. And that means I've saved us a few minutes, Tim, and lucky you because you get the first whack at it. For mesodozel talk. Hooray! We get to talk about <laughs> Mesut because this never goes wrong. and is isn't polarizing whatsoever. Um, the manager comes out and basically says, I thought this was going to be a physically demanding game and we needed players who were up for those mm. challenges. I'm not quoting directly because okay. I don't have it in front of me, but you're, you're more than welcome to go chase down the quotes. He didn't have to say anything. He did say something. And unfortunately, when you say anything about Mesut Ozil, it's going to get attention. He is our biggest earner at the club. So I want to address this in two ways. The first is your thoughts on what the manager said specifically, so his decision to leave out Ozil and what he said in response to that decision.
3: Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think we all know why he left out Ozil really without the explanation. I mean, it's it's quite obvious, isn't it? And, uh, and the thing is, you know, so in the ground when we got the lineups and everything, I, I didn't hear anyone complaining. I didn't hear any. I, like people were surprised, but I didn't hear anyone going, "Oh my god! Like how can like how can you do that? How it's can you leave him yep. out?" It it was very much, yeah. You probably do away from home against like a team who's quite intense and listen there are there are good tactical reasons for it that we've gone into like we we're going for a bit of a high press and that we wanted to play with intensity and i think we did that and obviously Ursula just doesn't do that but um i think it's quite interesting that emery has been so open about it and and almost um not not quite accusatory you know but i i feel like so i i don't think well i think we know that the relationship between Emery and urzil is is not brilliant uh, which is not to say it's absolutely terrible and gonna tear the club asunder or anything but i mean it's clearly not and ozil you know he didn't even go out and warm up so there was obviously like no plan to use him whatsoever and i, I do think there's a little bit of a message in there i do think there is a little bit there is a, a slight element of my way or the highway and a little bit you know look we're doing this for this game and if you can't or won't do it then I'll pick players that can, which which is absolutely fine and absolutely, as it should be. But I, I think the thing is, this didn't really cause any kind of outrage, did it? Or any like I, I think I think that tells you a lot. Um, that uh sort of, first of all, we know he can't do that intensity thing, but also because he doesn't. For his talent, he doesn't produce often enough. And that's why I think people have been quite accepting of it. And I I think actually a lot of people would have supported the decision. I I think it was right. And I think it was right that he didn't come on either. I I don't think he, I'm not sure he really fits Emery's ideal. Um, He certainly can't really play one of those wide forward roles. So um, we didn't play with a number 10, so we didn't need him. Well, so that and was going to leave.
2: created me. a lot more recently than we have with him. I mean, just just yep. if you did the raw stats, crosses balls into the box, et cetera et, yeah. et cetera
3: this this was our most passes in the final third all season, and Ozil didn't have a bar of it,
2: yeah, and
1: I mean i I think that leads me to my second question for you, Tim, I'll just stay with you for a second, which is then
3: mm.
1: I mean, look, we gave messedadoza the contract. It is what it is. I, I don't think every single podcast where he doesn't play or doesn't play well should be a referendum on that decision. We made the decision, and now where he's an Arsenal player and he is our highest paid player. And mm. while I think we would all prefer to have spent 350000 a week on a guy who's influencing every game in a major way, he's certainly a useful and talented player we can get the most out of. But do you think, given that Emery tried to start the season with Aaron Ramsey at the 10, uh, and mm. given that he played a position with no number 10 in this game, and given that we've mm. sort of seen the struggles Ozil's had in the 4-2-3-1 playing that 10 role... Do you think that really the biggest issue we have right now is we have a manager, and, and maybe just football changing in general, but certainly under Emery, who does not have use for a Mercurial free roaming mm. playmaking number ten?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I, I think two of our best performances this season have been this one on Fulham Away. Um and we didn't play. Not only did we not play with Ozil, we didn't play with a ten in either of them. We we kind of structured the attack in a different way, and we went for Mikatarian and Awobi in those kind of wide forward positions. And I I do think that that's quite revealing. And yeah, it's it's well, listen, we've known it all season. It's a problem for us. We've put all of this resource into someone really. We we probably shouldn't have, but because we let Arsene Wenger stay too long, we have we've, there's a few of these decisions that have been made, which were the decisions of a, a fairly desperate man who was kind of thrashing around for solutions at the end, and lots of short-termist decisions were taken and, you know, we've put all of this money into, like, Mkhitaryan and Ozil which means we can't afford to keep Ramsey more or less, so um, yeah, and, and Emery's got to unpick a fair amount of that, it's not of his making, it's not his fault, but the, those are the situations he's got and, and this is a problem i i do think and not just arsenal um i do think there is an argument that um you know if we lost us tomorrow a bit like ramsey you know we've been saying with ramsey this year well when we lose him we're not going to replace him like for like i think let's say we sold us in the summer we wouldn't buy someone like him we'd but we'd probably buy another wide forward because yeah. that's yep that's That fits what Emery wants, and I think we're going to see some of that churn in the next few transfer windows.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point, right? Like, I mean, when you lose an Alexis Sanchez, you could argue that right now what we are missing is an Alexis Sanchez. Maybe not exactly him, but someone with some of his characteristics. If we lost Mesut tomorrow, I think the player we would want in exchange for that would be a very different type of player um mm. and you know that that is the issue but clive i'm going to frustrate the hell out of you and not give you a shot at that conversation right now there'll be plenty oh, of opportunities to do it i <laughs> i assure you but we are out of time and i need to get one more questioning because i think it's it's worth t- talking about so I, I if you don't mind i'd just like to do that um we travel to a potentially uh, a war zone. I mean, all joking aside, I mean, it looks like Ukraine and Russia are back at it to some extent, and it's not funny. Uh, I don't mean it to be glib, but it, it is the case. Uh, it's also going to be 13 below Celsius um, the night of the match, and it's a long-ass trip before we play Spurs and United in the space of three days from Sunday to Wednesday or four days, however. I was told there'd be no math. So, Clive, is there anybody... We should be bringing. I mean, should Unai Emery even go? Should we just send Bold? I mean, like, what? What is? What is the right amount of caution to bring to this totally pointless match?
4: Yeah, well, he he, he hasn't got all the choices in the world. You know, he hasn't got multitudes of defenders falling out of trees. He can play all and the so, kids.
1: I mean, every kid that's at the club.
4: Uh, be interesting to see what happens in the next couple of days. We'll start to see uh, people hit YouTube. Welcome to so and so and get to know this player. <laughs> you start seeing those type of things come out of the media. Justin him Smith,
1: Johnson <laughs> L- Lowe. <laughs> get- and you getting know, to know what's him. going
4: on. Under 23 is a playing tonight, I believe, versus in the Derby. So I had a look at that team to see who was in it and there were some players notable players missing like Willock for example things like that so we'll see what happens in the uh, in the next few days you know, Smithrow and Willock I don't think they played Koscielny played so it'll be quite interesting but hey look we all know what's what it's all about. I don't know who we're playing. I can't pronounce it, and I, and I don't particularly care because Paul? we've got
2: skin pullover. Thank you.
4: We got we got some wiggle room there, haven't we? Literally, right? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, and, uh, <laughs>
1: that made me feel funny.
4: <laughs> we got some wiggle room there, and we're all we're all focused on the weekend, and I can't wait for that. I cannot wait for it. We're going to um,
1: get into that after the Thursday game, I assure you, because we're not going to talk about that match much.
4: Um, but but I, just, I mean, yeah, go ahead, please. Yeah, the, if we replace Dersel, we replace him with a more intense player. It's simple you, as that. That's where football's bitch. going. <laughs> you, it's all about it. You did it anyway. I'm not, letting, I'm not letting you walk away with that one, mate. No <laughs> chance. Um, it's all about intensity, right? And uh, if we can't make him more intense, then he can't play for us. It's as simple as that. And he will end up with a reduced role on particular situations. And I, for one, am pleased that the managers recognise that if we played him, he would have had a big target on his back <clears> and he'd have got run off his feet. And that's exactly what Eddie Howe expected. And we surprised him and then run them off their feet. And it was a masterclass.
1: I'll tell you something. I mean, I I want to be clear about something with Ozil. I don't think it's a lack of effort. I don't think Ozil doesn't try. I think Ozil is a certain type of player. Watch Lionel Messi if you want to see the least intense player ever. Lionel Messi walks more than any player you've ever watched on a football pitch. But he also does... 18 of the most amazing things you've ever seen in your life every 90 minutes. So, you know I mean? By the way,
4: Elliot, I want him to play against Spurs on Sunday. I want Ozil to play against Spurs on Mm -hmm. Sunday because that's, uh, that's in our house, in our environment, with our flow, with our rhythm. And he's a big part of that. But we've watched this scenario away from home many, many, many times now. And we can't trust it. So let's go another way. Yeah. And away from home, we've got another way and it worked. And we should just praise that, right? Absolutely. And and, 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 and the manager shouldn't
1: pick the team based on what the number written down on their paycheck every two weeks. Not that they get paid like that, but you get the idea. And anyway, maybe they do, maybe they get direct by Maybe he literally gets three hundred and fifty thousand pounds direct deposit every two weeks, which God bless you, Messi. Uh, Messi, messy, mess it. Anyway, <laughs> wouldn't that be nice? Um all right. I think that's enough. Uh, after Thursday's game, we'll do a, a lot of previewing. Tim will obviously have a Patreon preview um, for the Spurs game. You do not want to miss that. Sign up for our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Arsenal Vision Podcast. Um, it's just, you're going to love the content you get there. It's, it's like this, only if this was good. So it's definitely worth going. If you don't want to do it, though, we totally love you anyway and appreciate you for listening. And uh, Paul's on Twitter at Pausing in My Pants. Thank you, Paul.
2: It's like this, but Clive and I aren't allowed to talk to you.
3: Yeah, exactly. Tim's on Twitter
1: <laughs> at Stoberto. Thanks, Tim. <laughs>
3: my pleasure as always
1: yeah it is a huge pleasure for me to have you on this podcast you have no idea uh, Clive is on Twitter at Clive PAFC. thanks Clive
4: <laughs> thank you very much
1: alright we're going to take a couple days off and come back after Arsenal 10 Paul uh
2: force force can pull over nil Damn it. cheers Damn bye us. everybody fumbled it.
1: we'll talk to you then it. Arsenal 10 the thing Paul said no.